How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Gophers playing in the Frozen Four, Minnesota Wild playing for playoff positioning. Let's tackle both. Joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the one and only Tom Chorsky, one of our frequent contributors because he's really good at what he brings to the table. Tom, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, Maxie. Uh, how are we tonight? We're doing pretty good. I mean, the eve of a big game in the Frozen Four, the Twins' home opener delayed by a day, but it's still coming. It's uh, There's a lot of fun stuff in this town right now. You know, the Wild in it, the Timberwolves in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's, we just got to get the weather right, and we'll be really good. <laughs> yeah, good. You handle that. <laughs> we can play pond hockey outdoors again here. Uh, we just had yeah. Matt Kowalska, and he was in Boston with Steve Urban. They were touring the town, as they say, in the uh, in the old city. Uh, how, what was the furthest you went as a gopher? Uh, I played in the Frozen Four all three years I was there, and I lost the national championship game in overtime. To? Harvard. Oh, you were on that team that hit the pipe? Yep. Gosh, I'm getting old. Yep. That was at the old St. Paul Civic Center. Explain what happened. Yeah, well, 1989. Um, well, we... We actually play, had to play back-to-back games. Back then, they Harvard played the night before. Then they sat and watched us play Maine. And then we played them on uh, Saturday night. And um, we had an awfully good team. You know, Dave Snuggeru, Todd Richards, Rob Stauber. I mean, just a ton of guys. Um, Hankinson. And I played with Bischoff and Miller. And um, But we, you know, it was kind of back and forth and back and forth. And then we got into overtime. And Randy Scarta came down and uh, hit the post from about the top of the circle, right shot from the right side. Um, And everyone kind of thinks and feels like they picked up the puck and went right back down and scored. But that's not exactly what happened. It felt like that. But there was was probably, you know, another face-off in between there. And for sure there was a face-off in our defensive zone. And the puck kind of squirted. There was a bit of a scramble. And one of the Harvard guys just got a hold of it, and he took one step, and he kind of backhanded it towards the net, and it was going through some legs and feet. And Stauber uh, kind of went down to try to find it, and as he went down, it went right right between his legs and underneath him, and uh, and that was it. It was just heartbreaking and, and kind of shocking. But uh, they had a pretty good team. They had the Hobie Baker winner uh, that year, Lane McDonald. He was an awfully good player, and then they had a handful of 
handful of kids, you know, that we wouldn't really have known around here, but some of them went on to play pro hockey. So they they were they were they were a good hockey team. Uh, Minnesota State, Mankato, and the Gophers. First of all, what does it mean to have all these good teams in Minnesota? Well, I, I know you're a former Gopher, but you also have an appreciation for to have this many good programs in Minnesota. First of all, Herb Brooks would be smiling, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm I'm proud of it at this point. Um, you know, certainly, I know <clears throat> I know Brett Larson uh, up in St. Cloud, uh, Sandlin in Duluth, um, Saratory in Bemidji, and Mike Hastings in, in down in Mankato. I know all those guys a little bit, um, but uh, they and they all do such a great job. They they uh, they make our state proud all the time. All of their teams are, you know, pretty highly ranked um, throughout the throughout their seasons and um yeah the fact that we get down to you know the final eight in the last few years and it looks like we might have you know we'll have at least two minnesota teams representing and sometimes three and kind of blessed with uh riches of some very good very good hockey teams and then you know we probably probably should tip our cap to st thomas uh for coming into uh division one hockey too yeah, that's that's a lot right there. Um, Bob Mosco, since he got the job, of course, this has been the mission and the goal. How has he done as a head coach? Oh, I think he's done. I think he's done great. Um, you know, he pumps some energy back into the program, um, and he, you know, he plays a pretty um, offensive and on your toes style. And I think he's, you know, he's able to bring in some. <clears throat> he's got some good players. <clears throat> Excuse me, I like the makeup of the team with. The veterans like Ben, like Ben Myers, and you know Justin Close has come in and and done a great job in goal. When it looked like you know we were losing this kind of stud goalie, and he comes in and goes fourteen and four, um, few shutouts. In fact, he shut out um, Western Michigan, a really good team, you know, for them to get to the Frozen Four, and and so I think he's got them playing right now about as well as the Gophers could be playing. And he tinkered with lines early, and I think there were some young guys that. Um, were disgruntled a little bit. You know, they wanted to play a little more, but he's he's pulled all the right levers, and, and I think that's going to be the key. He's got to keep doing that for a couple more games, and, and hopefully this layoff, which is um, always hard to hard to deal with, um, it doesn't doesn't stop their momentum. Minnesota State Mankato, I mentioned Dryden McKay. They got a 17 game win streak. Uh, they've got an older team. Uh, they beat the Gophers last year to go to the Frozen Four. Uh, they're a heavy team. They're a tough team. Uh, handicap that piece of it to me. How difficult is it to play against a team like that? Well, it, it can be difficult, you know, if they stay if they stay really disciplined. And I think it'll be a bit of a chess match. But you know, sometimes those teams will say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna go and try and hammer their their young guys and their skill guys." And if they get a little too exuberant, you know, and uh, take some penalties, then then the Gophers can respond with some pretty pretty high end talent and uh, on the power play and I think their power play's been clicking pretty well and they got some some good guys back there on D and in Faber and Lacombe um, and Johnson and so you know it, it's going to be it's going to be a chess match it's really going to be probably try to try to you know keep it close from both ways no one really wants to get into a, a track. A, you know, a, a track run deal with uh, high scoring, and um, Justin Close is going to have to stand on his head. And I think, you know, a couple, some of these young guys like Pitlick and and Bros are going to have to really rise up and play. And maybe some of the middle tier guys, we're going to need kind of a maybe a 
uh, unexpected hero to, to step up and score a big goal. Let's move over to the Minnesota Wild. They lost last night to uh, uh, Nashville. Nashville was 3-for-3 three three to open their power play. <laughs> that's, pre- that's pretty good. Uh, Johansson gets two ends up with the hat trick, and, and they lose. I don't know that that's a big deal, the 6-2 to two loss, um, because they've been playing pretty well. Uh, you look at the West, and you study it close, and now that's what really this is about, is the playoffs and the playoff matchups. What's the, let's just say, the best avenue for the Wild to get to the Western Conference Finals would be if they played who? Who would they need to draw in those first two rounds, ideally? Yeah, they've got 14 games left. Um, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a focus on them trying to, I think, set the uh, all-time record for most wins yep. um, in the season. And, and they're still and, not going to uh, be anywhere near Colorado, you know? No, right. And Colorado is obviously the juggernaut. Um They've still got a couple games coming up that will really be, um, you know, good test for them. You know, St. Louis uh, will, will be will be a, a good test for them, and and then they got to get through some teams, Dallas. Um, so you know, we see where they where they end up, but um, they're just, you know, I don't know. It's such a tight race, and and the, the teams in their division are that that they're gonna face are all gonna be are all gonna be pretty good. Um, and I don't know how much there is to home ice advantage. We've talked about that in the past that um, often it, there isn't, and it doesn't seem like there's much, but um, the way this team seems to be, you know, able to play, yeah, they kind of, they kind of laid an egg in, in Nashville. Um, you mentioned it, the power play got, a, got, you know, the, the Nashville power play got out of the gate strong and Minnesota just was chasing it and played from behind the whole night. Empty net goal, six goals makes it sound kind of bad, but, uh, they don't seem too rattled about that. They've been playing great. They had ten ten game um, point win streak, streak or ten yeah. game point streak, so that was pretty solid. Um, Mark Andre Fleury played well against Washington. You know, I just I think when they get into the playoffs, I think their attitude is just going to be whoever you know whoever we get we get, and and I don't know if we can predict which team would be would be the the easiest one, you know, but. I, we'll see in the next 14, 14 games what uh, what shakes out. Would you be comfortable with them uh, rotating goalies on a game by game basis, or do you think you got to settle on one and just the other one's relief? Um, I think I think you. I mean, you settle on one probably in general, or out of the you know kind of out of the shoot uh, into the playoffs. Um, start with that hot hand, but I think at this point we feel like. Um, that whoever's backing up is certainly capable and and competent and ready for the big stage and, and can handle it. And then once you get into a series, if if you do switch goalies, um, it starts to become a little bit of a feel thing. But they they can either you know they can end either ride a guy, and then the, and then if they get through that that first series, they can reevaluate and maybe start the other guy. They They've got got kind of different, and they look pretty closely at why why start one guy over another guy. But um, typically, you want to have one guy that's you know the hot hand, and then maybe occasionally if a game gets out of hand, you want to pull him out and and not have him finish the game, so you can start him again the next game if if a game is going to be a loss. Um, so again, it's it's kind of it's kind of game by game when you get to the playoffs when you have a a tandem like. Talbot and Mark Andre Mark Andre Fleury, um, both capable. So 
I think, you know, likely see both of them um, at times. Last question, Tom. Explain Dean Everson. You got to know him well as an assistant coach before he was a head coach. Uh, obviously, he's had success uh, since he took over for the Minnesota Wild. I- explain who he is and how he goes about his business. Yeah, you know, I played against him too. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, didn't know him personally, but, you know, just I can speak to he was a very gritty player. Uh, you know, I guess back you'd say undersized. A but, grinder. Um, grinder but he you know he he did put up some pretty good numbers for a few years and then as he got a little bit longer into his career he became you know he he settled into a more of a grinder defensive role penalty killer uh was good in face-offs but you know anytime you get these these guys that um that had a legitimate nhl career and they had a an identity um that included you know being a hard worker but yet you know was able to scored some offense so he wasn't you know he wasn't a complete uh a, a complete uh grinder with no with no offensive uh, abilities but uh and had a long career played a lot of games you know now he's got some he's got a little bit of cachet with the players a little bit of respect um and that's just his persona right he he i i think he's a good combination of um a history of working hard as a player but um, he's he certainly seems um, well versed on on today's game. Um, he's got some really skilled players that he lets um, play skilled. The last time I was kind of watching their team, you know, a lot of puck possession. They're not just dumping and chasing and and, and always uh, having to retrieve the puck from below the goal line. Um, whether they're in the neutral zone and, and regrouping with the puck, sometimes they start to come up the ice and then they don't like what they see and they go back. Um, I think we see a lot of puck possession and rotation in the offensive zone, and that's why guys like uh, Kaprizov and Zuccarello are, 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 and they have that skill and that uh, chemistry. Um, and then they get some, some, you know, some Felinos and Erickson X and, and guys that can get to the front of the net and, and cause some havoc, and they play pretty gritty. Um, they've added a little bit of toughness in Laurier and, and uh, on, the, on the blue line there. So good little mix of, of players, and I think I think – um, Coach Everson just having played as long as he played and 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 played in that era, and then he's he's, he's well versed in in this era, and he's he's just got a team of, of a good combination of grit and skill, and uh, he's he's kind of he's kind of got it figured out, and he doesn't seem to panic and get down on the guys when they're when they're you know when they do do have kind of an off game and they bounce back and then they go on another run. So hopefully they're. They uh, learn from Nashville and and regroup a little bit. Sometimes you got to go through a loss to kind of you hit the reset button and and figure out what you got to do and what you did wrong. And and um, now they can probably go down this stretch here, win their fair share of games, and maybe hit that that milestone, which will pump a little more energy into them. And and likely, I think what we see is them going into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. Tom, always appreciate it, sir. We'll we'll access you again soon, but thank you so much for giving us some time. Yeah, let's talk after the after the Gophers win the Frozen Four here. You got it, Tom Chorsky. Nice enough to join us on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. When we come back, I paid a visit to Target Field today because the Minnesota Twins were there. We'll visit with one of them. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Big Show Sports to the Max News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Your home to the Minnesota Twins and Timberwolves. It was a clunker last night for the Timberwolves, by the way. It's really fun out there, though. You get out there, and you can feel a little bit of that playoff vibe. The fans in this town understand. They, they, they know what's up. They, they know where this team is at. 
and they've embraced it now, and they've decided that they want to be a part of it. And so it's a good crowd despite bad weather. Uh, and um, and you say, well, bad weather, the game was indoors. If you had to walk last night, uh, I got soaked about three different times yesterday in, 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 in that driving rain. And remember, they closed the skyways at 6 o'clock because of you know fear of violence and all that goes on in downtown Minneapolis. They don't want storefronts getting broken into. Oops, I'm not supposed to talk about that. But anyway, they do. So your walks are sometimes longer unless unless you park in that ramp, you know, right next to the Target Center. Then you can walk across and go to the game. Uh, but anyway, it, w- it was a good first half, entertaining, offensive. But in the second half, I mean, I mean, if somebody would have told you, hey, one of these teams heading for the playoffs, the other one's just playing out the season, you'd go, yeah, I can see that. It's obvious. Washington's much better than the Wolves. They look great. Ishii Smith was great. Uh, a follow was great. It, there was some fun stuff out there, but not for the Timberwolves. So, and then today I go across the street in that target field. The weather's still not good, but the Twins are practicing. And they're preparing for the home opener, which has been delayed by a day. And it's cold and it's dreary, and you'd think, boy, that's, that's a tough place to practice, uh, to get ready for a game. But it's baseball, and it's a home opener, and it's, you're playing in the big leagues, and that supersedes everything. That's what I found out when I sat down with Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers. Later. Ryan, a cold day to start a practice. How's it feel when you get out here and it's just cold? You know, honestly, I could care less. It's, it's so nice to be back in the Twin Cities, back, be back up north. Uh, Florida was a little different weather for sure. Um, but, you know, it's, I think all of us are so excited to be up here and, and get the season rolling. So it's just all excitement from here. As a catcher, the ice talk about throwing inside when it's cold. you set up? Did you think about that in the game plan? No, not really. Um, it's, nowadays, guys, wear, they stay warm pretty much for the most the game. Um, yeah, you might get your hands wrong a little bit more if it does go in there, but strength and strength you know, you stick to the game plan and pitch how it is. What did you learn down in Florida about this team and the pitching staff? Yeah, you know, we're, we're super excited about the squad we have. You know, offensively, we're going to do what we're going to do. The pitching staff, though, it, it's got some really good talent on it. Some veteran guys are going to lead the young guys that we have to rely on rely on for placing the role this year. Um, I, think, I think the pitchers are going to put up some really good numbers Starter's going to really make some quality starts and give us the bullpen that has some really talented arms in it. Ryan, in game one, what, what did you see from him? With Joe? Yeah. You know, he's, he's going to, you, you saw him a little bit last year. He's got the good fastball. He's done a lot of work on his off speed this year. Um, so he doesn't have to rely on that one pitch as much. Um, but he's going to be the same guy he always is. He's going to go out there, attack the hitters, uh, be cool, calm, collective, you know, not much rattles that guy. So I think it's a really good, exciting spot for him. And it's going to be fun. Last question. Carlos Correa comes into the clubhouse and his presence is what? Just, it brings us just a wealth of knowledge that, that is so, so great to have in that locker room. You know, he's had so much playoff experience um, and really brings a good, awesome, like, teammate. You know, he's a level-headed guy that's always happy to be at the field, um, but then just, you can always go to him with so many different baseball questions. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Good, good luck. Yeah, I was like, you know, thank you, sir. Good luck. I think that's apropos, particularly before the start of a big season like that. You'll hear every game right here on News Talk 830-WCCO. That's what we do, and we do it really well. Dan and Corey with the call throughout this uh, story season. Chris Atterbury, I hadn't seen him for a while either. Saw him out there today. Didn't get a chance to talk to him. Just gave him kind of a thumbs up. From his, and he gave me a thumbs up. Kind of like, you know, good to see you and it's good to have baseball back. I think that's what he meant. When we come back, tomorrow they are inducting uh, some new people into the Minnesota Basketball Hall of Fame. One of them is Terry Kunze. A storied career. 
but where he becomes just as interesting is he, he watches and evaluates more basketball teams and players than anybody that I know. And he's got the acumen to do it. You know, I, I could do I could give you my thoughts, but I can't stand that when guys of, of my ilk, you know, I played, I played uh, uh, one year of college basketball. And so that doesn't qualify me to evaluate basketball at the highest level, which is what you as the audience deserve. That's why I bring in these people that, that are much more qualified than I to break it down because that's what you, the audience, deserve. You don't deserve somebody to go, oh, saw on Twitter, uh, like I posted on Twitter, I said, Timberwolves don't play defense very well. Uh-uh, not, not good enough. we got to be better than that, and we will be. Terry Kunze when we come back. Welcome back to Sports to the Max. There's all kinds of basketball to still talk about. Joining me on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, the one and only Terry Kunze, who tomorrow will be um, recognized going into the Minnesota Basketball Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Mike, thank you. I appreciate that. Pretty good class of people. Larry McKenzie, Barry Wohler, Annie Adams, Zach. There's, there's, some, there's some people in there that are pretty good. I, yes, there are. You know, the funniest thing is uh, I've watched most of them, all of them play. Have you really? Yeah, well, yes. Well, uh, Barry Wolder was one. You know, I played against him a little bit in high school. Uh, he's a little older than I, but uh, uh, he was really something because he always won. Yes, he did. You know, Barry, uh, I got to know Barry uh, pretty well when he was coaching at Hamlin. Sure. And, and we would talk a little basketball on the phone on what he's doing and what he's going to do, and then he left Hamlin and, and got the job at Orono, yep. in which he'd done a good job, and they were they were one game from the state. Yeah, and they won a state tournament years ago with uh, his son playing, yeah. That's right. Terry, uh, how has basketball changed in Minnesota since you were dominating in Duluth? Well, I, I think basketball in general, you know, the AAU is what's made basketball in Minnesota uh, developing great players. And I think the difference might be a little bit that the best players are better, but the the other players m- might not be. Uh, and I think that's because, you know, a high school kid today, when he's on an AAU team, they play about 40 games, 50 games, and that's got to take away some of your time for practicing. I agree. So I, and I and I, I like I tell used to tell parents that you know if your son's not going to be one of the top two or three, uh, why don't you just watch and see how many times he shoots the ball in practice? Yeah, it might be only four or five times. Yep. So I think that that's that's kind of uh, happened to to basketball all over the country. Yep, for sure. So, so if you're, you know, if you go to those AAU programs, as you may, I always thought one of the best things about it is you get to see the competition. So you get to see what the standard is, at least that you're up against in your age group, maybe on your own team. But, but for these kids, how do you recommend that they develop as players? When just to your point, the focus is those four or five games on the weekend. Well, I think they've they've got to, they've got to, they've got to develop good drills that they can work on with a buddy, you know, rather than going, you know, if you're in the gym shooting by yourself, you know, actually 50% of the time is, is getting the ball and going back out to shoot. But if you're with a, a friend, you could shoot, he could rebound for you and you could, and he, then he could shoot, you could rebound for him. And another thing is to make, to make your practices or your drills 
something that's a little bit more physical. For example, if I'm going to shoot jump shots on the elbow, if I shoot a jump shot, I, I should run three steps one way, three steps back, get the, then get another pass, shoot another one, then run three steps, three steps back. So you, you're really creating situations that you would have in a game rather than just standing there shooting. And there's a lot of stuff. Is uh, Another simple thing is that if you're talking to a player and, and uh, you're telling the kid, if the, if the defender plays way off you, what's he telling you to do? And he says, shoot. Yeah, right. What if he's up in your face? What's he telling you to do? Drive. I said, so, I said, so in effect, you know what the player is telling you to do. So if you look at him, when you get in a game, he's not too far back. He's not too close. So you really don't know what to do. So how do you tell yourself what you should do? And with a foot fake. So if I step at the defender and he doesn't move, I'm gone. He's got to be gone. And if he does move and you step back, now you got him in a defensive position where if he comes up on it, you can go either way. But it's a matter of the great players. I always tell them, if you look at the guy's jersey and you play a lot of one-on-one, he is telling you what to do. And a lot of coaches don't teach it that way. They only teach this step and that step. But in reality, you're trying to close the gap on the defender so you can get to the basket. I understood. So, so and and you know, I watched the other night in, in the final four, and you watch a sixteen-point lead dissipate. What happened? What happened? How, how did can they did it almost at will, and 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 look like they might run away with it for a minute there, the way they were playing in the second half. What happens in that situation, Terry? Well, you know, I thought that the guards started forcing some some tough shots. Uh, I think uh, they were the the best guard was four for twenty four, five for twenty four, and you know, and then and then Kansas start making some jump shots, uh, which they weren't making earlier, and that kind of when that happens to you, their defense, the de- defense stepped up, and they got on the boards, and you know, momentum is a funny thing, Mike. It's it's hard to stop it. Uh, the last night at the Wolves game, you know, Washington was... Yeah, okay, so what what happened in that game? And you're, uh, Washington was outstanding in the second half. What happened? They, they just had it going, Mike. That That's why any team in the NBA can beat any other team in the NBA. It's, it's proven. Uh, Memphis, for example, Morant has missed 23 games. He's their best player, right? Tyus Jones plays there. Yep. Of 23 games... Morant has missed. Memphis is twenty and three. How do you figure that? Is that right? Yes, they're twenty and three. So what that means is Tyus is doing what he does best. He distributes, right? Yep. And he allows the other scorers to score. Uh, whereas Morant, when he plays, he kind of dominates the scoring and kind of dominates the ball. Yep. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you watch Dallas. I don't know how anybody could play with Dosic. I mean, he has the ball in his hands 80% of the time, and all the other guys do when they catch it. They, if they have a shot, they shoot it. But I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. 
Do the Timberwolves have a chance to go, uh, forget the play-in game, uh, do they have a chance to go beyond the first round of the playoffs? Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, they're going to be, if, if, if they win their first game, they're going to be playing Memphis, who's yep. very good. Yep. Okay. If they lose and then win the second game, they're going to be playing Phoenix, which is also very good. Uh, I, I think it'll be hard for them to move on. I really do. I do too. And they, they've made strides. But you're just not quite sure. And defensively, some nights, like last night, you see Russell saying to Edwards, where were you? The, the guy, I had to tackle the guy because he slid by and you weren't even looking. Uh, are, are they just that Is that a communication thing? Is that a what? Well, you know, it, we've got to give some credit to the other team. They, you know, they, the NBA is it's such, a, it's such a league that's so scouted, Mike. I mean, when, when a player goes home after a game, he probably has a – a film of everything he did when he touched the ball. I mean, it's just, they know what you're doing. When you have a 24-second clock, if they can take your first option away, put a little pressure, but can be down, take the first option away, you know, you've got nine, ten seconds to score. And it's, uh, it's a tough game. I mean, I think there's a lot of coaching in the NBA. It's a, it's a, it's a, real, a real coaches league. Uh, little things to do to, to combat things like running the double. When do you double off the dribble? Do you double on the catch? Uh, and, you know, Minnesota, when they're playing well, are very good. You know, and, and overall, for the year, the defense not, has not been bad. But when you get, when you get a, a team that's hot and, you know, and they're, they're making jump shots, all of a sudden they're getting uh, lobs for dunks. That it's 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 a tough game, you know. They play every other night, or sometimes two or three games in a week, and travel. It's uh, got to be a you know. People say they don't play hard, but that that that's a joke. That is a joke. They play hard, man. Those charters, I think, took care of that years ago. And and then the other thing is that uh, made the the NBA. You know, the rules now have made it a, a scoring game. Yep. Uh, whereas before, you know, you could hand check and yes. games were 98 to 91 yep. or something. Hand, now, hand on the hip was common, yep. And, and now, now you touch them and it's a foul. The only time that uh, that it's tough for the referees, I think, is, uh, is the referees have to look at uh, defensive three seconds, offensive three seconds. They have to look at... Uh, I think the NBA should innovate three rules, which would, I think would save the game. Number one, allow any defense. Because at 24 seconds, Mike, how many times is the def- uh, offense going to play against a, a, a zone? Yeah. They're going to beat the zone up the court. Yep. The other thing is eliminate uh, the goaltending. Once the ball hits the rim, it should be free. You don't want to lose a game with the referee at half court calling a goaltend, mm-hmm. and that's happened. Yep. And the other thing is, it's a very simple rule, but they have to do it. They should widen the court six inches on each side, and that would allow you a little more room on the court and would not make it necessary to change seating at all. The mm-hmm. court now too small. How many times do you see guys step out of bounds on the sideline? Happens all the time. Yeah. 
It happened in the college game the other night, too, yeah. Okay, last yeah, question. Yeah. Last question for yeah. before we go. If you were Ben Johnson coaching the Gophers right now, you would spend most of your time doing what in terms of recruiting this offseason? Well, he's, he's got his high school recruits. So yep, he's they're spoken the, for, yep. And I think he's got the best, too. I mean, I, I, I think uh, Carrington and Payne are, are the best, I think, are the best two players in the state. And now he's got to work the transfer portal. I, I, you, you, today's game has changed. You can't win with freshmen. It's changed. Too many teams bring in that senior, that you know, a, a more mature player that fills that fills in uh, holes in their in, in, in their in their team. And it's tough now. And, and what's going to happen with this portal? I think I was listening to the uh, the Connecticut coach uh, who said. There's 371 Division One uh, basketball teams for women in the country. Okay, mm-hmm. but there's like 861 in the transfer portal. And he said that you know what? Do you think he, there's going to be 300 girls who can't find a team? Correct. And the team they leave will not take them back. Correct. I mean, look at Willis from the Gophers. Yep. Do you think his first choice was going to Charleston? In South Carolina? No. Think of that. No. 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 That's where he ended up. He didn't. And so he ended up there because that's all he could get. Yep. And so he ended up back at the U. And I don't, I, the transfer portal would make things uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable disorganized. I mean, how, I think the high school kid is the one who's going to suffer. Yeah. Because you've got to leave two, two scholarships open to get that transfer portal. Yep. Whatever, 1,500 players in the transfer portal for men now. Yep. Yeah, and that tells you it's something. Another world, too. Mike. It's another world. Yep. Terry, thank you so much. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame honor. I'll see you over there tomorrow. Well, Mike, I appreciate your call. You take care. Bye bye. You bet. Terry Kunze on News Talk 830 WCCO. Back with more compelling thoughts if I can find some a guest after this. Tubsy, you played basketball for Terry Kunze's brother? Yeah, yeah, I uh I did. The the funny thing is, like when I was talking to him, I'm like Hey, are you, uh, you know, you related to, to Bill? He's like, yeah, it's my brother. I'm like, yeah, I, I played for, uh, Bill Coonsie in, uh, Ballotin back in 89, 88 through like 91. So, really? so and, yeah. And his, and his brother was like, what, what is a coach? No, oh, he was hard. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he was hard. Absolutely. But you knew that whatever he was saying, he was right. Even if you didn't agree with him, you're like, you, you just, you knew there was something about him. That you were getting a good coach, and I respect Coach Kunze. He taught me a lot about the game of basketball. Now, Terry Kunze, they say I never saw him play. He was in the early '60s, uh, but they say he was the first you know, big guard uh, that would take the ball, go between his legs, behind his back, all those things, mm-hmm. and put on a show. And people would come from miles around to watch him play at, at Duluth East mm-hmm. when, when he played. Was his brother like that? Did he have game? Because generally speaking, if you play high school basketball, like like I played for Daryl Croon, a Hall of Famer from Edgerton, the famous Edgerton story. I think he made 110 straight free throws one day in practice, and I used to play him in Horace and. I mean, this guy could flat out, he, he could shoot it from anywhere. Uh, did, did Bill have some of that game, too? Uh, oh, yeah. If, if Coach was going to come out, if, you, if, if Coach had to come out and show you how to do a drill, yeah. you knew you were going to get schooled. Okay. And you were going, no matter what you thought, whether, even if it was something as simple as setting a screen or, 
you know, if you had to run the baseline, just something very simple, not even like shooting technique wise. It's like he would show you exactly what you needed to do. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, he's not one of these guys that just talks about it. Like you say, Maxie, he can he can apply the principle in a point that you could understand it. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you didn't want to get into a shooting contest with him because, I mean, you were you were not going to beat Coach Kunze in in any shooting contest. So it didn't he, matter. He was a little bit like his brother, huh? I, Basketball junkie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never saw never saw Terry. And the funny thing was, like, I knew he was from Duluth. Yeah. And I knew the Kunze name, but I just never put it together. I never put it together until now. And, and I was actually just uh, DMing. Uh, Coach Kunze. I still call him Coach Kunze. We're uh, friends on Facebook. Yeah. And I was DMing him. I'm like, hey, you know, is your brother Terry? He's like, yeah, that's my brother. And I'm like, okay. You know, I was telling him, you know, you're talking to him and everything. And so we just kind of were, you know, reminiscing here. So I was kind of, as I call it, half-assed paying attention, Maxie. Not you when my show's on. You'd never do that to me. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they had a pretty good, you know, one of their brothers, too, I believe, played for the Boston Celtics, Bill Kunze. Oh, that was that was my. You mean Bob? Bob Kunze. Bob Kunze. I mean, I'm kidding. It's Bob. Kunze. Bob Kunze. Yeah. See, you, you had joke, and I blew the what, I blew the punchline. See, that's know. what. Ha- see, Maxie, between you it's blowing the punchline and me not paying attention, it's a yeah. good end to an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Apropos too, I might add. Yeah, all right. More good wit when we come back in the next hour. P.J. Hill. He played basketball at Ohio State. His sister played the WNBA. What did he think of the women's Final Four? He's also part of the movement in Minneapolis to try to get things cleaned up and sorted out. Um, there have been a lot of setbacks, a lot of setbacks. Uh, what does he see as the city's strength going forward? That and bringing pickleball to the urban as well, getting kids from the city involved in a sport that's easy to play. All that in the 8 o'clock hour, I promise you, and I won't botch my next joke, I promise you, on Sports to the Max. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.